run. Hello and welcome to another episode of Here's What You Could Have Run podcast. As some of you have probably seen London Marathon just happened last weekend and it raises a, an interesting uh, discussion point in that what do you do with your medals and would you ever sell them? I didn't realize quite how contentious it was, but I've kind of lost the love of my medal collection over the last year or so. They're mostly just sort of sat in a pile on the corner. So after having sold the virtual London Marathon medal last year, I think I've got 80 quid for that, including the finisher stop. I thought, you know what? I'm not really bothered about this year's London Marathon medal. I'm more worried about the race itself. And if I'm honest, when I went to the drop bag and saw the T-shirt, it's a pretty minging design and the medal's pretty minging as well. So I thought, oh, I'll try and sell it. I stuck it up on an online auction site. You might guess which one. And I thought, chance me, arm, 150 quid. And I did get that. Met up with a guy after the race. He'd also run it. And he wanted a second one for I don't know what reason. Sometimes people like a second so they can frame both and show both sides of it or maybe just wanted to show off keep one at home one in the office didn't actually really ask him why he wanted the two perhaps i should have done but he happily handed over 150 quid for what i would say is a pretty ugly medal and a pretty ugly t-shirt and interestingly this has prompted sort of quite a lot of debate from various people on whether or not it's in the spirit of the event to sell the medal and whether you even need medals and people seem very kind of entrenched that they're, uh, you know, a shiny bit of rubbish that it's up to you to do with, whilst other people think that it's, it's pretty much sacrilege to sell the medal that you got for completing a big race like London. So I'm curious to see where there's kind of the split fell. I did a little poll on Twitter and 65% of people would never sell their medals. But interestingly, nearly 5%, they just put their straight in the bin, which is a lot harder than I expected. Maybe it's just because I'm a bit a sort of person that never throws anything away, even if something I don't particularly have an interest in. I'll kind of put it in a drawer and forget about it. But And 15% of people would happily sell their medal for over 100 quid, and another 15% would sell it, but it would need to be obscene amount of money. But it's kind of interesting that of all those, only 65% actually think they wouldn't ever get rid of that medal. So it makes you think with uh, organisations like Trees Not Teeth trying to buck the trend on the kind of tap that you get at the end of races, a lot of it which ends up in landfill. Maybe they're really onto something and maybe more events should start offering alternatives to the medals and the T-shirts, whether it is something like Trees Not Teas, where they plant a tree instead whether it's a reduced entry fee or to be honest, an event of London or something, I would happily just then take the money they would have spent on those items and give it to one of the charities that they support. On the topic of London, though, coming up now, I've got an interview with Bex, who's recently finished it as her first marathon. She's very much described herself as a plus-size back-of-the-pack runner. And as we know, back in 2019, the last time London Marathon actually held the event, uh, quite a lot of controversy with the course being closed too early and those sort of final runners basically being pushed to the side of the road. The aid stations were closed ahead of them, even though they were running with a pacer. So it's not like they're outside the cutoff. They were still 
under the kind of stewardship of London Marathon and their paces and got quite short change on their experience. So London's Marathon's really worked to try and improve this and make sure everyone else gets the same experience, whether you're doing it two and a half hours or eight and a half hours. So it's interesting to hear from Bex how she got on. And unfortunately, she's also attracted the attention of a few online trolls. So it's good to get a bit of feedback from her on how to deal with online idiots. And also, she has a really good way of just summing up what really is the essence of running. So here's Bex. Joining me now is Bex, who's here to talk about her summit you had on the London Marathon this last weekend. Thank you for coming on, Bex. No problem. It's nice to be here. So, um, obviously, I, I uh, caught up with your London Marathon experience on Twitter mostly, but just for anyone else, could you sort of introduce yourself a bit and how you got into running and why London? So, yeah, I've been running kind of on and off for, for a few years, you know, doing couch to 5K programs, um, getting up to 5, 10K distance and then life getting in the way, stopping, restarting, um, you know, never being particularly consistent, um, but always been, you know, motivated to go for a run and at times. Mm. And I do quite like being um being fit and healthy so you know it's I find it quite good for my mental health so you know going out for a plod is um is always something that I've that I've quite enjoyed um and then at this sort of at the end of last year I thought you know actually I really want to try and develop my 5k time become a bit more consistent and improve my pacing so I'd done the Great North in 2019 um and I'd that and I'd found it really difficult and I just thought, you know, actually having a structured training plan is probably the the right way to go about going into the great. So I'd um, I'd re-signed up for the for the Great North membership. So I was planning to do it in 2020. But obviously for anyone who doesn't know what Jeffin is, then could you explain that as you cover that there? Oh yeah, it's um it's run walk methods. So it's stretch structured running walking breaks in order to um manage your energy levels throughout and that's named after um, someone jeff yeah. isn't it? i can't remember his name now yeah that's right um jeff galloway who's, um, who's a pn in america or some something like that so always really enjoyed the the jeffing method but thought actually running consistently a decent pace 5k is, is really what i was aiming for so you know, as as runners do every year, when the ballot opens, you just put your name in the hat yeah. and you think, oh, it'll never be me. And then this uh, last year, for the first time, I really liked the look of the reject top. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to bequeath my entry fee because I really like the look of that top. And um, February rolls around and they're like, um, guess what, you've got a place. <laughs> <laughs> I Oh, goodness. OK, so it's probably a good thing that I've already decided that I want to improve my 5K time and begin a more consistent training structure. Mm. So um, I contacted a, a running friend of mine who's um, her name is Paula. Big shout out to Paula. Um, very good at running. She's got a good phrase in, in London a couple of times. And um, and I knew that actually she would be really supportive of me throughout my training. So I made contact with Paula and asked if she would be my coach um she understands what 
the um the process of, of running and training for London is going to be like and I thought you know what actually this is probably the best way to to get through this experience so it all kind of kicked off from from February really um running a mixture of um of three and four times a week so intervals strength and conditioning classes and then for the long runs obviously running as a plus size person is not just as simple as running as a as a straight size person you know going out to run for 14 miles that'll take me four hours and the impact that that has on your body then has an impact on your training for the rest of the week so with Paula we devised a a back-to-back long run training system so we would run for example two hours on Saturday and then two and a half hours on the Sunday so it was more of a cumulative effect um in order to build up the time on your feet but without quite so much impact on on joints and things that's, that's similar to um, how a lot of ultra runners train as well rather than do one big run at the weekend you do back to back over the two days so yeah yes and um and that was um you know as the way of managing the impact on on your body and managing the fatigue so that you can maintain the training throughout the week ahead as well so you know i'm also working full-time as a, as a nurse in the nhs so trying to exactly exactly so structuring the training around around working shifts you know some days really long days really really hard emotionally taxing and then and then going out and doing a hard interval session um yeah know, that, that's a, a bit different to the sort of people you know a lot of people have you know, with not commuting and stuff, I've actually got more time to fit training in and can, yeah, nip off for the <laughs> lunch hour and go and do a hard interval session and get back to the home office. But yeah, that's a, it's a bit tricky fitting that around proper shifts when you do a proper job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fit, fit, I mean, I don't, I don't work in the hospital, I work in the community, so at least I don't have rolling day to night shifts to contend with. But yeah, still getting up and go to work every day and fitting training around that has, has been a challenge. Um, I think safe to say, you know, I hit probably 98% of my training sessions. So turning up on on the day, um, I knew that I'd done as much as I physically could in order to to get round and get round in a in a safe and fit way. Did you do any uh, events in training for London? Obviously, we've been a bit up and down with what events have happened this year, but did you manage to get a half in yeah. or anything? Yeah, so I did um, I did a half marathon at the MK24. You know, the, 20, um, oh, yeah. the MK24 is a 24-hour event, and you run as many of the six-mile loops as, as you can. Um, so I managed to do two loops there, um, which was really good. Um, and then we did um, I did the Great North as well in September. So um, did very well at the Great North. Got an eight-minute PB on my ten-mile time. And then uh, the last three miles of the Great North this year were really hard and uh, very very hilly. So yeah, struggled a little bit um, the last three miles, but managed to make it through. I suppose um, that must have been good because a lot of people I know I was a little bit dubious London would really happen until almost sort of stuff like the Great North Run was happening, you start to say, okay, you know, big events are going to happen. And yeah, it's actually a real thing this year, not mm-hmm. something that's going to get postponed at the last minute. <laughs> Absolutely. There was always that worry in the back of my mind that, yeah. you know, you've put in all this training, you've worked really hard. And what if suddenly they say, 
you know especially with the with the rates as as mm. they are um what if they suddenly say actually no not this year you know could I have faced another year's worth of a really hard training <laughs> it would have been I think, a big question well, I think the 2021 I think they only cancelled about sort of five or six weeks out or something so you know it was even that one was a bit last minute so yeah, as exactly. you um sort of splitting your runs then what was the longest run that you actually did in training prior to getting to London was it a half marathon distance yeah so it was the half marathon distance and so, I did um sorry, I was gonna say, so men- mentally what's that like then because of the the traditional plans often go to sort of 18 20 some maybe 22 if you're sort of really at the sharp end of it but it, even then it's quite daunting knowing you've got an extra sort of six or eight miles on top of your longest run but if you've and you got to a half that's got to be mentally quite tough so the, there was the real big question in my mind um you know the the great north as i said i found the last three miles really tough um because of the changing course and how hilly it was and felt that actually there was you know could i do another 13 miles when mm. it was so hard to to finish the great north um but talking to people who've done marathons and obviously talking to Paula, my lovely coach, you know, she said, when you, when you start your run, you know, the distance you're going to go. And if you turn up on, on the start line, you will finish, you know, and having that self-belief to know that if you can get to the start line, you can almost tolerate anything. Um, we'll, we'll get you across across the finish line it might not be in the state you want it might not be with the time you want but actually you can <laughs> no that, that's that yeah I think that's what you need isn't it a lot of it the longer the run the more of it's sort of in your head really isn't it absolutely everyone can get around a park run but yeah so in the start line of something you know it's going to take hours and hours is a lot trickier obviously a big part of London which some people love and some people hate is the expo so did you go to the expo or did you find someone to go in your place no, uh, me and my mum and another runner, we all went to the expo. Um, I think it's part of the London experience, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> in terms of collecting your number, I'm not really sure what what it adds, if I'm honest. I think, um, especially with the rhetoric about being COVID secure, I did feel that actually perhaps there was, you know, getting people to come into the centre of London yeah. before the race. I'm just not entirely sure that that was necessary. I think perhaps they should have rethought it this year. Um, what day did you go down? Oh, so we went on the Wednesday. Oh, so it'd be nice and quiet then. Yeah, I went Thursday and it wasn't too bad. And some people went Saturday afternoon in queue for sort of four hours inside, <laughs> which I think makes it, yeah, like even more of a joke of the whole COVID protocols that you're stood next to people for four hours yeah I just I just felt that perhaps this year you know maybe they should have reconsidered forcing everybody into uh into a big exhibition hall um and did you hang around and listen to all the talks and buy loads of gear that you don't need that's what they normally make you do (laughs) um so now I spent a lot of money on one pair of socks um which actually then I didn't wear (laughs) (laughs) and 
bought some bought some really nice flapjack as well. So that that was uh, probably the highlight was the flapjack. A few people then, have said um, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, top notch flapjack was there, right. and um, did really enjoy going around and and seeing everything and seeing what was on offer. But um, you know, in in terms of added benefit for the race, I'm I'm not really sure that mm. it, it was there. Yeah, I mean, normally Expo is bigger than that. I know we're trying to avoid it, but it was definitely a bit down on sort of numbers and stockers this year. You didn't even have sort yeah. of Nike or people like that, did you? New Balance without any ones that were there and they were sponsors, so they kind of had to be there. It, yes, yeah, exactly. Fine, so once you've got that, uh, you've got your bib, then it's basically it then, isn't it? So <laughs> how did the race go? What's it like getting into London at stupid o'clock in the morning to uh, go and run around London? So we stayed over the night before, stayed over in uh, in Bexley Heath, and then got the uh, the, the training in the morning. And um, you know, in the hotel, as you're as you're waiting for for the taxi to come and pick you up and take you to the station, you can see more runners coming coming down, and everybody's got this sort of nervous look on their face, and um, the chattering that goes on, and you know. Uh, some some chap said that he was hoping to do it in 303 you just think oh gosh I won't even be halfway around <laughs> by the time you're you finished and um you know seeing everybody walking to the start line in their bin bags and um there was a chap in a very fetching red velvet coat oh. obviously planning to uh, <laughs> to dispense of that at the start so that that made me chuckle um yeah, my nerves started to build at that point, watching all of the, all of the massive runners going to the start, and um, you know, managed to find my way to to the green start, and uh, and actually it was all really quite really quite smooth after that. Went into the starting pen when it opened, and suddenly gather gather on the start, and um, start and away you go. It was really sort of split this year, wasn't it? The wave, so yeah. So I was in green six so I started at uh 10 10 22 I think and um and yeah it was it was nice I think because the green start was for the people you predicted to be more than seven hours um so actually it wasn't very busy in the pen um and that was probably a good thing in terms of not just COVID but in terms of awareness of of where you are and um, and managing your, your pace at the start as well. Yeah, because that is tricky at London. You get caught up and the first sort of three or so miles are quite downhill. So I think everyone sets yeah. off too quick and regrets it. And suddenly you're bombing off and, you know, you just think, oh gosh, how am I going to maintain that? But uh, exactly. yeah. <laughs> so you, you set off and you were pretty confident then that you would see it through to the end based on your coach's kind of motivation your self-belief um yeah so um i saw a quote from from the london marathon that said 99 percent of people who start will finish and i just had that in the back of my mind that actually you know i always had three goals in mind so i had a time goal in mind um and then i had just a finishing goal in mind and then my final goal was was essentially finished before the sweeper bus forces you to get on. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't achieve my time goal, but I did finish. And, you know, I felt actually incredibly strong 
all the way probably up until mile 22. So, so that's, that's doing well to feel good up to then, yeah. I wouldn't say I felt good, but, you know, <laughs> well, once you get to... Not terrible. <laughs> not terrible, you know. Um, so I've, I felt very, very sick at halfway and 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 stopped for a little bit to, to be sick, essentially. Were you and eating gels or is that... Were you... So I used a mixture of um, of tailwind and um, shot blocks, which I used all throughout my training. So why I suddenly felt sick, I'm not sure, because I've never really come across that um, on my long runs at all. And, um, and St. John's were encouraging me to eat something sugary. But at that point, I just thought, that's not going <laughs> to that's not going to happen. Um, so thankfully, I did have the tailwind, and that's what got me round round the last half. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it's it's they do say tailwind is all you need, isn't there? But I, yeah, I tend to have something else with it. I can't quite run just on that, but no, it's not not quite enough just just on its own. I, I found in my long runs, so yeah, using a little bit extra just helps kick help to keep me on a bit more. I mean, it probably didn't help with actually if it was a fairly warm day, really, compared to what we've had previously as well, wasn't it? It wasn't sort of blistering hot like I think 2018 London was ridiculous but it was certainly hotter than I think I was expecting to be on the day. Absolutely absolutely and then obviously it poured with rain all, all the Saturday yeah so then <laughs> so then for it to suddenly be quite so warm was a bit of a surprise um but also it was very gusty wind and uh and the downpour that happened at about mile 17 just got everything completely soaking wet and then cold. Yeah, that, that was real then, sudden though, wasn't it? It was, I, no one saw it coming, I don't think, and suddenly it's like Florida style torrential rain, and then in five minutes it had <laughs> gone, and if you hadn't been outside of that five minutes, you probably wouldn't have believed it had happened, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you've been soaked to the skin. The uh, the volunteers kindly passed out uh, those those rain ponchos, the oh, volunteers at the, them, yeah. at the drink stand, so yeah, spent spent a few minutes trying to force one of those on, and then just thought, oh gosh, you're already wet, just carry on. Yeah, it's often yeah, once you're wet, you're often better to carry on. But <laughs> in terms of landmarks and stuff, obviously London is an amazing event. So I mean, one that sticks in people's head is often going over Tower Bridge, as that's the thing that you always see in the telly, isn't it? From being a little kid watching at home. So what's that like to actually finally get to run across Tower Bridge? Oh, it was incredible. Just as you say it's the iconic image from every every year I watch the London Marathon on the TV and it's always been there in the back of my mind it must be incredible to run across Tower Bridge um and it and it really really was it really was there's just nothing else I don't think that can that can really compare yeah I like the fact it's almost kind of around a corner isn't it so you sort of run along and you seem to turn a corner and suddenly it's like oh my god there's a bridge in front of us yeah, and it was very much like I was running and I just thought, oh, I'm, I don't really know where I am. And then I thought, oh, <laughs> I'm on Tower Bridge. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I was like, yeah, I was like, I know where I am now. This is fine. <laughs> Did you have and, uh, um, mates and uh, club mates supporting you? Either like running with you if they were also in it or were you just sort of running your own and waving at them as they were spectating? So I was mostly running on my, on my own. I did know a couple of other people who were running, but we'd we'd made a, a plan beforehand that we were all going to run our own our own race and uh, or run our own run. 
and if we saw each other that that was a that was a bonus mm. my mum was my biggest support person so she'd um she'd come essentially my mum was my logistics manager for the for the whole thing she, by the time I told her that I got a place within about 20 minutes she'd managed to book two hotels for the night of the of the pre-marathon and essentially told me you don't need to do anything but train I will sort right. all of the other logistics out so we had a plan that we were going to meet at halfway and um, swap out my hydration vest for um, for a second one um, in order that we didn't try, have to try and refill my bladder on the mm. um, my hydration bladder on the go. Um, and the plan was that she would meet me at the at the 13 mile mark so that we could do that because I knew that I could run with enough tailwind to get me to halfway. I wasn't sure that I'd then be able to to make the rest of the distance. Yeah, so, London very big this year on trying to make people carry their own sort of fluids as much as possible, and to cut down on touch points and bottles and everything. So, yeah, exactly. And um, and with the what happened in 2019 as well, I was quite concerned that being a slower runner, would they not keep their end of the bargain of what they mm. said about maintaining the water and, and gel stations until the end? It's a good point, so, actually. I forgot that they got quite a lot of uh, bad press, didn't they, for effectively clearing the course up while people were still on it. And yeah, <laughs> wasn't yeah. brilliant for a... No, and being a back-of-the-pack runner as well, you know, you, you read that and you think gosh if if even London Marathon are not catering for for the back of the pack runners what chance have you got in any other in any mm. other running event you know and it's not to say that London shouldn't clear down the course but it's about having respect for your competitors and wow. the people that have paid paid the fee to be there you know so I was quite concerned that potentially that I did need to be self-sufficient based on what I read from from runners in 2019 so so saw my mum at, at the halfway just after um just after Tower Bridge did a quick swap out and then carried on um so so any particular issues on it other than being sick do you get blisters or anything or you mostly trained enough <laughs> that you knew what you're doing so I did I have ended up with two blisters one on each foot and it's in between the big toe and and the second toe so it's really interesting that it's both in the in the exactly the same place but on but on each foot um but in terms of blisters that's really the only place I, I, I have suffered um which is pretty good going really have you lost any toenails because that's always the kind of the mark of a runner if you've lost toenails all my toenails are still very much intact, thankfully. Oh, very good for you. <laughs> I'm, quite, I'm quite proud of that. I managed to, to do the marathon and I've kept all my toenails. <laughs> so sort of setting off towards the back then, was it quite congested on the way around or was it relatively sort of, not quiet, shall we say, but, you know, you had room to move or were you, you know, getting bunched up and stuff? So with with the green start this year, what the plan was that we would be set off um, prior to the final waves of the other coloured starts, so red and blue, in order to ma maximise the amount of time that the back of pack runners were around other people. And I have to say that probably worked in incredibly well. Um, I would say I was with probably the, the mass of runners until 
probably 11 miles or so so actually for for somebody like me who is who is a slower runner that's that doesn't normally happen so yeah it did it did feel strange I would say because actually it's the opposite experience of what I normally have in that uh, in that I'm quite used to running by myself and you know being one of the lone people at the back as opposed to in the crush of people. It sounds good that you get the proper kind of London experience of running with lots of people in the crowds and stuff and yeah to set you all off kind of last yeah it might not have felt the same. It, yeah absolutely and I'm and I'm glad for that because actually it did give you that London experience as you come down um just after the the merge point of mile three there was just this whole big um sea of runners in front of me and I just thought oh gosh this is London <laughs> yeah well I think 45,000 or something finished I think it was so yeah it was a big year for numbers as well so do you ever have any doubts on the day that you were going to finish or was that it you know once you kind of sort your hydration pack at halfway you were just like I've just got to do that again because like you said mentally that's You've got to do your longest yeah. run ever again. <laughs> yeah, mile nineteen was really hard. Was really hard. Um, I think that's coming into Canary Wharf. Um, my GPS on my Garmin went a bit um, haywire, and I couldn't work out. It's I couldn't essentially work out how far I still had to go, mm. and that was quite tough mentally because you know at that point I didn't know how far behind the sweeper bus was um you know how am I doing on my pace all of my all of my timings that I'd worked out in my head were then skewed because I've used my watch to um calculate my pace and what I needed to do in order to get the time that I needed yeah London is bad for GPS isn't it I know people have had as many as sort of 29 miles recorded on their watch at the end of it and some people have done it in 24 apparently so yeah so that was that was quite tricky mentally um but again my wonderful mum was there at mile 19 uh to give me a hug and uh and I had a little cry and she told me I could do it and then we carried on Excellent. you know and then uh, and then you know that actually you're in the hard part now but if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other you you know, that's that's all I had in, in my head was just don't stop, just keep going one foot in front of the other. And at that point, you know, walking hurt, running hurt, everything hurt. So you might as well just keep on going because it hurts anyway, <laughs> you know. Oh, and people say you've... similar when they get to that kind of stage. It's, yeah, even standing still hurts. You might as well move and just hurt. Yeah, essentially, if it, if if it's gonna hurt, you might as well just do what's gonna hurt for the least amount of time. And at that point, it was to keep on running. So, you know, just just don't stop. So, were you confident you were me. far enough ahead of the sweeper bus, or and is it a physical bus behind you, or is it more of a figurative, like the tower walker at Park Run or something, tra- tra- traveling along with a bag? Is it uh, literally a bus nipping the hills? <laughs> So because of, of the experience that people had in 2019, what London Marathon had done for this year was recruit a group of 50 tail walkers to support the people at the very back mm. to uh, finish. Um, 
in whichever way they could so whether that was moving onto the pavement and, and continuing to walk or continuing to run or if the participant felt that they really could not continue it was to assist them onto what they called the party bus in order to um to keep that party at the back feel that was that was very lacking from from 2019. that seemed yeah um, a good approach isn't it yeah absolutely um so I was lucky that one of the Redway runners was part of the tail walking um, pack and um, my mum was tracking her. So when I saw her at 19, she told me that actually I was I was well ahead of this of the sweeper bus at that point. And that was just the boost that I needed that I wasn't about to to get swept up, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> that was good, yeah, because... Yeah, it, it must. It would have been soul destroying, I suppose, after all that to uh, yeah finally end up on the party bus. But I guess it does happen to some people, doesn't it? So. It it does. And this year, it was very much the approach was if if you feel you can continue, you will be supported to continue, in whichever way that that will work yeah. for you. And you only get on the bus if that is your choice. Yeah. And I think that is exactly the right the right attitude to take. You know, for some people they're not able to continue and there should be provision for that. But for some people, they just need that bit more support in order to, to make it to the end. So coming towards the end, then you're sort of going along the embankment, you know you're going to finish yeah. by that point, you just head towards Big Ben, don't you do a right turn? So what's that like? Well, I didn't really see Big Ben at all until <laughs> somebody shouted at me, there's Big Ben. I was like, oh my gosh, there's Big Ben. <laughs> Yes, because, you know, at that point, you just head down, keep going, don't stop. Um, and my lovely husband and, and son were there at mile 25. Um, and and it was a real, once I saw them, I was like, oh, I'm re I really am close to the end now. You know, and I think some police officers heard me shouting at myself, just don't stop and, and quite enjoyed <laughs> <laughs> laughing at me <laughs> um but that was just the mantra I needed to to get me down get me down around the corner and then once I saw the 800 meters to go sign I just thought you oh my gosh you're really going to do it you're really going to get this medal and uh yeah and then it was just a case of powering on through to the end so what are your initial thoughts on finally crossing the line oh my gosh I've done it I've done it. I've finally done it. All of that training, all of the 5am starts, you know, Saturday and Sunday getting up at 5am, you know, all all of the training and the worrying and all of the self-doubt that you have about whether you are actually going to make it is is over because you've done it. You've you've achieved your goal. You know, you've, you've finished and you're in that 1% club, you know. And as my tweet said, I am a bleep marathon This year, sadly, they weren't, you know, putting the medal around your neck for sort of COVID reasons. But what was, was it good to finally get that medal in your hands? Oh, I'd completely actually forgotten about the medal. It wasn't until <laughs> I walked out the end of, uh, of the bag uh, collection that um, my mum reached into, into my kit bag and she was like, you need to put your medal around your neck. <laughs> you've worked so and I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you've worked so hard for it. Put, put it on. And uh, and then she, obviously, she took the, the now uh, well-known photo. No, that's brilliant. 
So uh, what sort of lessons do you learn then from doing London? And do you want to do another marathon again? Or is that kind of scratch the itch and you finished? Mm. <laughs> That's a really hard question to answer because at the moment I'm thinking, I don't, I'm not sure I want to run another marathon. But there is still that that little voice that's in my head that it's like, well, you've, you've done one. So use the lesson that you learned to doing this to to go and and actually achieve you, you the time goal that you that you were hoping for um but also the other side of my brain is actually actually uh bex you know you're a nurse you've you just went through a pandemic for 18 months maybe cut yourself a little bit of slack <laughs> at point yeah you might have been a bit busy you, you know maybe may, Maybe rest and recover and then de- and then decide what, what you want to do. Yeah, I um, mean, I, I would say... The ballot for- <laughs> so you have entered for next year, have you? Oh, of course. <laughs> Quality. <laughs> yeah, no, I would say that, yeah, training for your first marathon is horrendous and the subsequent ones are a lot easier just sort of by default, mm. to be honest. Even if you have a gap of a year or two, it's, it's much easier to get back on the horse a second time, so... Yeah. I think everyone should do a marathon. I wouldn't recommend ever training for one because you're horrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I had some comments about about that. You're always tired and you're always hungry. Yes, I yeah. am. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you know, now you've got a nice medal to show for it, so it's worth it. So would you recommend London to others? Then it sounds like you had an amazing day, so I guess the answer is probably yes. I would say if you're going to run a marathon, it's got to be London that experience the iconic things that you see and that just that experience of of running with that many other people you know it's a real once in a lifetime opportunity yeah so it is amazing i have to say as much as i whinge about the expo and stuff like that it's (laughs) yeah it's the event itself is amazing and it it is other than obviously the issues the other year it's probably the best organized event i've done as well so and that's not easy to organise an event for 40 odd thousand people, is it? So. No, and you, you know, I, I think they must have a real tricky job trying to balance the needs of some people who can run in, you know, in two and a half hours, three hours, to us people right at the very back taking eight and a half, nine hours. That must be a, a real logistical nightmare. Mm. Um, but the people at the back bring just as much value as the people at the front. Oh yeah, and that's kind of the the point almost of London, isn't it? Is that anyone can get lucky in the ballot and you can get out there and do it. If they had, you know, a strict cut off of so many hours, it would really detract from the whole point of the event, really. It, it, yeah, and this year, especially with the with the hashtag We Run Together, you know, I really feel like this year they did embody the spirit of of we all run together, and you know you. We don't always always experience that when you when you're a slow plodder like me. <laughs> and if anyone gets lucky in the ballot this year, what's your sort of one piece of advice you'd give them for London? Get a coach. That sounds sensible advice. Get a coach. Yeah. <laughs> take take the advice from somebody who knows what they're doing, who can give you that accountability. You know, when you're tired, when you're cold, when it's raining, when you don't want to do it. If you've got somebody else that you need to phone or WhatsApp and say, 
I can't do it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> it looks raining. Actually, <laughs> yeah, it's raining. I don't yeah. want to. Sometimes when you've got to message somebody and say, oh, I just don't want to, that's enough to make you think, oh, I'll just go and get it done. Yeah, I think a lot of people just kind of get the training plans, don't they, around the world or whatever, but they're a bit easy just to ignore. I know some people are very diligent and would cross off every session and... <laughs> And other ones like you skip a through and before you know it, you've not run for two weeks and then you start to panic and and that's probably why ten thousand odd people every year don't make it to the start line because somewhere along the lines they kind of lost the direction the motivation so yeah and then um just touching briefly on this because we don't want to give too much kind of air time to knobheads on the internet <laughs> but as you put you did put uh pictures up on twitter of you saying i'm a bleep word marathon and stuff from what, yeah looking back I think most of the comments now are very positive because people have sort of reacted to the ones that were knobheads but you do unfortunately get a few idiots responding so for anyone that gets yeah the attraction of trolls on the internet what have you got any sort of advice on how to deal with it or the number of a good hitman uh, <laughs> I just think to kill them with kindness is sometimes the the best option um you know, if I if I'd reply to them angrily or you know emotionally, they would have um, they would have achieved their goal mm. essentially um, of of getting a reaction. They haven't taken anything away from the fact that I'm a marathon runner. Um, and I'd, what I would like to say is actually, I don't think I did anything particularly extraordinarily different to anybody else that ran the marathon that day. Or, or any day, you know, anybody who can run 26.2 miles is an, is an absolute hero. Whether you do it in a thin body, in a fat body, all marathoners deserve respect. And yeah. I think the marginalisation of, of fat runners is, mm. is something that does need to be brought more to attention because... It, running is an inclusive sport you don't you don't need to be thin you don't need to be um a size 10 or 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 anything to run you just need to put on your trainers and and go out there and actually the co the nasty comments that i got were so far outshone by all the loveliness that actually i'd probably take those the trolling again because it's done so much for highlighting that you can be a runner just by going for a run you don't you know sure it's nice to have all the fancy gear and all the clothes and the the really expensive trainers but you don't need that you just need to put on your shoes and go for a run well, that's a beautifully simple way of putting it yeah i mean i do wonder that even if you just go on instagram all the kind of the running hashtags on there are generally full of people with perfect six packs and Perfect hair, and yeah, I don't run with anyone that looks remotely like any of those people. So, <laughs> you know, and you you just need to go down to your local park run, and you see, you know, a, such a wide variety of people going there and and taking part, and you know, every every event should should be like that. Every event should be inclusive and mm. and for everybody, but because of the Instagram and the image um, that's portrayed you know running companies you know wh which running companies have got have got plus size plus size athletes 
representing their brands. None that I know is, of. Is it honest, any, but... You know, is it any wonder that the plus size people don't go running when there's there's no there's no equipment there for them? They don't know where to start. They don't know where to go. Um, you know, and I think that feeds into the trolling mentality. So when people do see a runner that doesn't look like a traditional runner, shall we say, mm. they 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 react in the way that they've always reacted. They've ne- they've not seen it before because it's not it's not out there in the mainstream. And so, you know, they they say the things they say because it's it's unusual for them. Whereas, I think if we had a real big campaign that you know such as this girl can putting putting everybody out there with the potential to be an athlete would just really help to reduce the the likelihood of people being trolled for being an athlete in a plus size body. No, that's a good point. Yeah, they're all uh yeah, they're all skinny basically the models, aren't they, that you see. So it's not ideal, is it? But so if people want to uh, follow you on social media then see how you get on if you get in next year for London, uh what's your, <laughs> what's best? Is Twitter best? Yes, my Twitter's the best. I'm at Melon Carrier. <laughs> Should we ask and why? Then, or? Um, you know, I, I carried a watermelon. Oh, from um, what's that film? <laughs> from Dirty Dance. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she's just awkwardly there carrying a watermelon. Honestly, oh, it's good. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for coming on. And yeah, you've, you've given a real feel of what it's like to run London. And hopefully, I don't know when the ballots announce actually for next year, but February. Oh, there you go. You know better than I do. Good. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, come February, a lot of people will, uh, yeah, get the opportunity that lied as well because I got in the ballot. So. so we'll see what happens for next year. So brilliant. Thank you very much for that. No, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I'm really grateful. <laughs> thanks to bex for coming on there it's good to hear enthusiasm for london obviously it's a race that a lot of us want to run normally you get about four hundred fifty thousand people apply for the ballot spots london marathon keep the actual breakdown of the field a little bit secretive but generally it's, it's expected there's somewhere around 17 to twenty thousand spots available for ballot runners so that isn't really a very good percentage certainly more than win the lottery, but you can still see why a lot of people go many years without ever getting that lucky ballot spot. I also ran London uh, last weekend. For me, again, it was a lucky ballot spot from 2020 that after a lot of delays and postponements finally came good. I wasn't quite in the shape I wanted to be for London, so I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And as I mentioned in previous podcasts, I was thinking probably anything under 330 was a little bit ambitious. But on the day, I had a really good race. I ran with a good mate, Julius, so I didn't even realise I was running. I bumped into him somewhere about half a mile in. And we ran probably about 16 miles together, just chatting and arguably running far too fast for our fitness. But kind of got off to that 16-mile point. And then a club mate and also my sportsman, Seuss Rudy, I bumped into him at that point. And pretty much ran the rest of the race with him as well. So, yeah, it was a very social London for me. Really enjoyed it. Soaked it up. Didn't worry too much about pace. And it was more like a long club run, really, just with brilliant scenery and brilliant crowd support. And then when I got to kind of about 20 miles, I thought maybe it's time to push. 
held off a bit to about 22, 23, and then I did try and push, and my legs pointed out that we weren't really trained enough for this. So kept the pace as best I could and finished uh, about 30 seconds over three hours, 25. So I was, I was over the moon for that, to be honest. If anyone had told me that morning I'd get a 3.25, I would be very delighted to hear that. Obviously, had London happened back in April 2020, I was aiming for something a lot quicker than that, probably sort of 305, 3.10, but I've had a, like with everyone, a, a mixture of injuries, excess mileage, lack of mojo and life getting in the way, so I certainly not had the perfect training. But for me, that's probably the most enjoyable marathon I've had in, in years. The result's pretty good. I'm happy to go sub 330. The first time I've managed that at London. Normally I blow up and go horrendously. So it's good to get that one ticked off. And it's kind of renewed in me a bit of a vigour to try and get a bit quicker again. So I'm working with a club as a run lead for Lakeside Runners. We set a bit of a programme to try and target the winter half in December try and get the pace down for that again. And then next year, looking for a spring marathon. Some of my club mates are going for Milton Keynes as their kind of target race. I'm due to be pacing that again at four hours. So it won't be a, a race effort for me, obviously. So I'm going to try and find another spring marathon that I can target and see how close I can get back down to that kind of 310, 315 range. So coming up, we've still got the episode with Lauren after her triumphant return from MDS. And until next time, goodbye. Game over.